Hey everyone, welcome back to Real Talk, Let's Talk. Today we are very excited to welcome back a speaker from our fall 2018 event, Eduardo Rubio. Eduardo is a senior majoring in computational science and economics. We're so excited to have you back with us today, Eduardo, for our last episode of season one. But before we get started, we wanted to ask you a few questions to get to know a little bit more about you. So my first question is, what is a weird food combination that you really like? Hey, it's good to be back. Um, So a weird food combination that I really like, I don't think it's weird, but everybody tells me it's weird, is I think lime goes with anything. So lime on popcorn, lime on rice, lime on chicken, lime on anything. I love it. I'm I'm about it. Listen, that sounds good to me. I'm going to have to try (laughs) I'm going to have to try this lime on popcorn, though. Um, Okay, second question. What is something that you think will always be in fashion no matter the time period? Oh, that's hard. Um, But given the context of today, I'm going to have to go with AirPods. Okay, so (laughs) follow-up question. Regular AirPods or AirPod Pros? Oh, (laughs) got to make them accessible. Just the regular. Okay, okay. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So, wait, wearing them like normally or wearing them in a special way um you know i've really taken a liking to when i have to talk to people so i don't look rude as i'll I'll tuck it behind my ear so it kind of looks like an inverse earring um (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) there's an art to wearing airpods no truly (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) oh my goodness well my next question for you is how would you spend a million dollars um, I would probably give about half of it to some charities that I research and make sure that they'll do good with it. And then the other half, I would probably invest it. So responsible. <laughs> there we go. That major served you well. Right. The economics major. <laughs> and my last question for you is if you could instantly become an expert at anything, what would it be and why? Um, I think I would become an expert in learning. And it took me a really long time to see learning as something that you could even improve upon or make a skill, right? But I think it absolutely is a skill in becoming autodidactic. And just being good at it would open so many doors and really just kind of empower you to really do and get good at whatever it is that you would be interested in doing. So I think that would be it. For sure. I totally agree with you. But I also have a follow up question to that. Okay. So if you were able to learn or become very good at learning, what is the first thing that you would learn? Oh, I would love to become more uh, versed in jazz theory for guitar. I love playing guitar and jazz is such a mystery to me and I would love to learn more about it. Nice. I respect it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So I'm glad we got to know a little bit more about each other. And um, I think we all know the right way to wear AirPods now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of Eduardo's talk is An Uncertain Dream. Go ahead, Eduardo. Yeah. So um, I guess the start, right, in the beginning of, of my story and kind of my experience um, is when I was younger, right? When I was just about four years old. And for context, before I kind of jump in, this is going to be my experience as an immigrant in the United States and kind of how it led me to view a lot of things and also kind of like how it manifested in terms of me going to college and getting an education, things like that. So um, when I was about four years old, my younger brother 
Ivan was diagnosed with autism. And unfortunately, Mexico, at least at that time, um, did not have the social or medical infrastructure needed to be able to support uh, Ivan through his journey. Um, so my parents had to make this really tough and pivotal decision and decide if we should move to the United States where we would be you know, in a better position to offer Ivan a better life or stay in Mexico and just kind of throw the dice, right? See what comes out of it. So of course, right, just like anybody else uh, probably would, we decided to make the move to the United States. And for a long time, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, even though I started elementary school knowing only two phrases in English, it was shut up and sit down. Um, I really quickly just grew to um, love the US, right? But it was during my sophomore year of high school when I ran into this wall called reality, right? Um, and as all my friends started, you know, getting jobs, getting licenses, you know, they started collecting their college application materials. It was all we talked about during lunch in the cafeteria. Um, I began to notice that I was different, right? Because Ivan and I, through some paperwork mistakes along the way and a lack of in-depth just immigration law knowledge, uh, we presided in America as what's known as DACA recipients or dreamers, um, which also means that we were undocumented immigrants, right? But even despite my status, I decided that I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get education of my other classmates. Um, and I just had to start from absolutely ground zero um, due to all the additional nuances being an immigrant added to the college process as well. Um, Little by little, I started to understand what, for example, the purpose of the SAT or ACT was, which a lot of people here kind of have like as a given. But for me, I was like, you know, what is that? Well, what, like, why do college visits matter? Or even like, why is it normal for Americans to live on their university campuses? Right. There's just it was just a very different uh, system. And um, the biggest obstacle, however, by far uh, for me was financial. Um, you know, although DACA granted me the ability to apply to universities, it also imposed a couple of caveats. Um, so number one, I couldn't pay in-state tuition for any university. Um, number two, I was ineligible for federally funded scholarships. So think uh, HOPE, anything from FAFSA, Sell Miller, things like that. And three, I was ineligible for student loans, which meant I had about half the help, twice the price, and everything had to be completely paid out of pocket. So all of these caveats, right, are exacerbated by the fact that as an undocumented immigrant, it's illegal for you to be employed full time. So we didn't have a steady or even marginally sufficient income stream to even dream about paying for something like, like college, which was, you know, like what, $50,000 out of pocket every year. Um, you know, and despite these challenges, I was still pretty set on making it to college. Um, at the time, I wouldn't have called myself a bad student in high school, but I was definitely not a student that at least I felt I was at the caliber that I needed to be in order to be competitive for these big scholarships that I absolutely needed in order to even think about being able to afford college. Um, but I was, you know, super, super motivated. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. And I think back then it wasn't as clear as it is now in retrospect, but there's this kind of like implicit um, driving, almost pain that you experience, I think, as child, children of immigrants. 
where you see a lot of hurt around you and those that you love. And I think arguably that can be um, a more difficult pain to kind of go through. You know, I've seen how difficult it was for my family to have left their other family members behind, not knowing that they wouldn't be able to see them again, right? Because you can't leave the country if you plan to return. Um, and, and, you know, imagine that even for the listeners, imagine not being able to, for example, um, say goodbye to a family member before they pass away because the government just doesn't give you permission to. You know, I've seen my family struggle uh, to make money, not because they're unable or unwilling or incapable, but simply because they, again, don't have that permission. Um, six months ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And we've been really blessed with how we've been able to make it through the process um, so well. But the initial like fears of you know, not knowing where we were going to get the money to be able to afford all those therapies because as immigrants, we also don't have medical insurance. It was just penetrating, right? Like we can't afford chemotherapy out of pocket. Um, and we got lucky, you know, that we were able to find help. But the point is we got lucky. Many are not so fortunate. You know, just imagine having to be afraid, for example, to drive to the grocery store because any instance of getting stopped by authority um, you know, because you got a fender bender, because you get stopped at a checkpoint, or because you needed to drive your mom to the hospital during lockdown. That run-in with authorities could mean that you don't come back to your, to your kids that day. You don't get, you get to go back home. And sometimes, I mean, I don't exaggerate when I, when I say that it feels like we, as a people, are constantly, despite pandemics, despite natural disasters, despite how much an economy needs hardworking people, um, rain or shine, you know, we're constantly hunted. And that's just no way to live. You know, no person was meant to live their life inside of a birdcage, really. Um, so having these understandings, I understood just how big of a deal college was for me. College wasn't just the next logical step. College was a means for me to be able to support my younger brother when my parents could no longer do so. College was a stepping stone for me to be able to pull my family out of so many of these hardships that, at least for me, existed solely because my parents wanted uh, better for us. Um, college mattered. And I'm going to take this moment to also just say that, like, I understand that college isn't the only way to make a lot of these things happen. But in the position that I was in at that time, that was just kind of how it felt. That was just kind of how I saw it. Um, and unfortunately, despite that profound like priority that I gave to going to college, I was, <laughs> I was being denied to everything. I mean, everything. Rejection letter, after rejection letter, it was becoming more and more likely that I was just not going to go to college, that I was not gonna make it happen. Um, second semester of my senior year in high school though, um, I had advanced to the finalist stage of a really big scholarship like it was life-changing big. This was the final scholarship I applied for. So it was essentially my um, final opportunity. And, you know, I even drove up to North Carolina for this four-hour interview session. It was just brutal. Like my whole family went up there with me. My friends went up there with me to support. <laughs> they were all in the lobby waiting for me. And I was feeling hopeful, to be honest with you. I was feeling really good about how that scholarship interview went. Uh, a few weeks later, after a late wrestling practice had concluded, I received an email from the scholarship committee. Um, and I read that first line. It said, greetings. We regret to inform you that. And that's it. I didn't need to read, you know, the rest of the email. I just, uh, I knew what I was going to say. So I closed it and I just dropped to my knees 
I cried in that parking lot at 9 p.m. in my high school. I know a lot of um, the things that I'm, I'm saying, or at least my reactions to them, maybe my thoughts on them might sound a little dramatic to someone. But, you know, to me in that moment, my whole world, you know, the dreams of things I've been working so hard for and wanting so bad, um, you know, that opportunity to be able to help my family had just crumbled and had gone away. And all it took was a single email. And that night I was, I was so sad. I mean, I remember it so well. I just laid in bed for hours staring at the ceiling. And, you know, finally something, something clicked. I told myself, I'm going to let myself be sad tonight. I deserve it. I'm going to give myself that. But this isn't the end, right? It can't be. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm just going to find a way. I'm going to have to find a way. Um, so those next few months were, were just absolutely crazy. You know, I was fighting for for that opportunity, that shot at education with, with so much vigor and boldness and ambition. I was calling anybody I could think of. I was calling admissions counselors everywhere, sending emails. Um, I just had stacks of like scholarship applications just laid out across my room. Um, and by some stroke of luck, um, I was accepted. Uh, Mercer University was a single university um, in the country that I had applied to that offered to take me in with in something, you know, a scholarship package that I would be able to handle um, with a lot of, you know, a lot of hard work, but I was able to, I was going to be able to do it. Um, and, and, you know, I threw myself in there. I was so happy to uh, know that it had finally kind of manifested. And eventually, you know, I kept working. I didn't stop applying uh, for scholarships because I still needed that financial support. I was eventually lucky enough to be awarded a scholarship that would make it possible for me to not only attend, but also finish. And crazy, crazily enough, um, just this week, I graduated um, summa cum laude in both my BS in computational science and a BA in economics. And I'm, you know, starting my professional career in, in just a month and a half, which is crazy, you know, just kind of retelling the story um, and thinking about how different of in a position I was just a few years ago. And so, of course, I still face the everyday struggles of being an immigrant, right? My gratitude and, and just pure joy, honestly, of having made it to college um, didn't take that away. However, they do provide a really big uh, perspective that helps me realize that although the struggle is very real, it's also fruitful, right? It's also worthy. And living as an immigrant and as a college student, both has deep, deep levels of volatility. And I've had to learn to just be comfortable with that, to really be able to accept things that I can't change and engage with those things that I can. Because living in this state of just fear-induced immobility, fear-induced paralysis is no way to live at all. And so it's an ongoing story, right? Every day is a challenge to not be subsumed by these fears of what may happen, kind of what I was talking about earlier. However, Having, you know, those people in my life that love me and are there for me um, in combination with this newfound kind of worldview under which to operate on. That's really what keeps me going, feeling unafraid to the best of my ability, um, appreciative of the moments that I've had and have been given and just ready for whatever is coming my way. So, yeah, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eduardo. 
that was an amazing story and, and we're really thankful that you were able to share it for us and all of our yeah, listeners no, today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for just providing this platform. I think it's a really great thing to have. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, so um, thank you so much, Eduardo. And also, congratulations on graduating. That's really exciting. Oh, thank you. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I have a question for you. Um, so I just kind of wanted to know, like, how you're feeling during quarantine. Um, what have you been doing? And what are your future plans? And what are things looking like for you um, after quarantine is over? Yeah, so... Um... I think quarantine has brought a really interesting set of challenges, um, you know, as I'm sure we've all been experiencing. Um, it's definitely just been an interesting time to just be able to, one, for, for a, once in a really long time, just be able to take every day, day by day, right? Not having to like have this super full agenda of what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the month after that and so on and so on. Um, just a time for me to kind of like focus on what's going on with me. Um, and my family, and be able to kind of like take care of business, right? Um, and on the other hand, maybe like not as um, much of a silver lining, um, it's also been really scary, right? Because, yeah. you know, I kind of mentioned that my mom um, was currently going through a lot of medical, medical procedures, which means that she's also very immunocompromised, which is right now probably the worst time to be immunocompromised, right? Given what's going on. Um, So it's been interesting in the sense that for me, this has all been like very, very real. Like I have not left my home, you know, like the driveway for the past month and a half because, you know, for our family right now, it's kind of like protect my mom at all costs. Uh, But it's interesting to see outside of that, you know, people are going to the park, people are going to the bar, you know, Georgia just uh, recently started to like reopen kind of like into the shuttered economy type deal. Um, and it's interesting because for me, it's so real and it's, and it seems like to a lot of people, it's not so proximal. Um, and you know, it's been interesting to see kind of that like cognitive severance from that reality, um, and just how different situations, um, contextualize different actions for so many different people that are living so close to me. I mean, I'm really glad that like some of our listeners are going to hear this like coming from you too because it is really important to be safe right now and to think about other people that are not in the same I guess health and like strength and immunity as you know I mean like your mom is immunocompromised like you said and I think like it speaks a lot to what you're doing right now that other people should also follow along because it's insane it's insane how like you can't even step out of your driveway because you're protecting something within, but everyone's kind of not paying attention. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I also do think, you know, to add on to that, um, that there have been a lot of people that have kind of taken the opposite approach that even if they are like, you know, in their twenties and they're not immunocompromised, they're still taking care of business and making sure that they're being safe. And I really love that. Um, I think it's really forcing us to kind of like reconcile with the fact that our actions aren't just about us, but more, how it's going to impact the collective. And I think that's a really beautiful thought that I really Mm -hmm. hope is an energy that's carried on to, for example, voting, right? People that aren't necessarily like impacted directly, how um, the things that they support and the things that they engage with civically um, are going to impact other people as well, which kind of ties into the whole immigration story. But, you know, that's a different tangent. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's something 
we all needed to hear and um, we're all wishing your mom well and hoping for a speedy recovery for her and hopefully this all kind of yes. slows down soon so things can somewhat go back to normal yes yes absolutely thank you but yeah yeah my last question for you is what are you going to be doing after you graduate so now that you've officially graduated i guess uh, what are your plans for yeah absolutely after? so um i am actually employed i'm an employed man um yeah oh, thank you so congrats. much <laughs> uh, i'm going to be working in atlanta i wanted to stay close to family um, and I'm going to be um, working as a developer for a company in Atlanta named OneTrust. They're a data privacy company. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be basically coding all the time, going to be refining those skills. Um, but I start towards the end of June. So my plans until then are literally just going to be, um, like I said, take take everything day by day and just kind of do the things that I like doing. Like I'm going to be making and recording a lot of music, um, I kind of mentioned earlier that I, I'm a guitar player, so I'm going to be doing a lot of music. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of art. Um, I'm going to be, you know, just a lot of like little small projects here and there. But also, mm-hmm. I might just sleep and I might just watch Netflix. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think that's a really cool thing to be able to say, like, I have all these things that I'm going to enjoy. But also about the moment, I'm going to enjoy something else more. I'm in a position where I have the freedom to kind of do that. Um so yeah, I'm just looking yeah, forward for sure. to, to these next few uh, weeks and being able to just do that. Well, thank you for being a great season finale. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, and for everyone listening, this concludes the very first season of Real Talk, Let's Talk. So thank you again, Eduardo, for speaking and thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you guys in season two. All right. Woo. Bye. Woo. <laughs> Bye.